Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casilla, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Syracuse continues to win every basketball game at Plays Week. Yeah, happy Syracuse Juggernaut Week. Happy Syracuse still needs a defensive coordinator week. Happy. <laughs> <Who knew>? <laughs> <laughs> the search begins once again. Um We'll get to all the football stuff on the front end and basketball stuff in the back end. For those of you that feel the need to keep these things separate um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, Dan, why don't we start with the Zach Arnett stuff? Um, I know in our uh, noon Slack, you were the one who uh, who shared uh, Pete Demel's uh, tweet that uh, that Zach Arnett, the uh, just hired, or as we thought hired, um, Syracuse defensive coordinator, was headed to Mississippi State uh, to serve on Mike Leach's staff. And SU is now without a defense coordinator. Uh, this is problematic for many reasons. Um, the chief of which is that we really could have used somebody to help kind of close on the recruiting trail. Um, and now things kind of look like they're in disarray. Um, it also came out that SU hadn't signed him yet. Um, I don't know how much that's a, an indication of SU being inept or Arnett being a little shady. Um, also, seems like SU was indicating they were willing to pay $900,000 a year. I don't buy that for a second, um, but I do like the putting that out there into the world anyway. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think after the dust settled on Arnett, like not coming and the shock of that, um, the fact that we were going to find out because Mississippi State's a, a public school, like pretty quickly what his figure was, um, was was one of the more interesting aspects of it. It doesn't take away from like the annoyance in that we had a defensive coordinator for like a couple weeks, um, if that, uh, but the fact that Syracuse has been really aggressive in both saying, um, I mean, I think I didn't get to read the full wild hat story today, but, uh, he, I mean, he's, he's making every, uh, possible notion that, or, or trying to dispel every possible notion that Syracuse messed up here, uh, in some way and got Arnett out. Um, now I don't really know how generally defensive coordinator contracts work, especially ones that are that new and whether or not something was like violated, if not, like in by the letter of the law than in like the spirit of it um it certainly seems i mean it's not unheard of just that this happens like i think dan enos did this to michigan a couple years ago and then jumped to alabama um basically the same thing but i think a little more it happened to us too when when dino first started uh where uh dave Beatty um said he was coming aboard and then ended up in maryland I forgot about that. That happened um, even with us under Marone. Uh, I forget our, our running backs coach took the job and then like backed off the job because his family wasn't comfortable moving to the Northeast. So it's not unheard of. Um, it does. I, I mean, we talked about it, at, I think just last week when Arnett was still in the fold, like I was pretty confident that this wasn't going to be some kind of long-term uh, arrangement just because, you know, coaches that young are a little more free to move around. Um, he's only, what, 33, 34. Um, really young coach. And the fact that he has no ties to Syracuse, no ties to the Northeast at all. He's a New Mexico guy, followed Rocky Long to San Diego State. Um, the fact that he's moving to Syracuse at all was like, okay, now his career is kind of moving past the Rocky Lawn portion into, like, what it's actually going to be. So, I mean, I thought, like, there was a chance that he was only going to be here for a year anyway. And if he did well, probably off to the Pac-12, I, I wouldn't have guessed Mississippi State in the SEC. But, like, this was never it never made sense as like, Oh, Arnett's going to be here for five or six years. Or I saw even some people like floating him as like a, and I think this was just like people putting it out into the ether, but like, Oh, maybe he'll be the Nets head coach. If Dino retires at some point or something, or he leaves. So like all of that. And I think people said the same thing about Gilbert, but um, 
I don't know. It just never struck me as like a super long-term relationship. I think the best we could really hope for was that he would be here for a couple of years, turn the defense around, put it in a better place. And it was, and then, you know, if you move him to an SEC school for 900 grand, you, you, you know, shrug your shoulders at that. Um, the fact that we are being very uh, outward in saying like, we were willing to match his $900,000 salary is interesting. I'm kind of closer to the U camp of, I don't believe that that's the case. I have a very hard time believing that we are in such a different place now where we're paying that much versus like, we don't totally know, but there have always been like the, the inclination that uh staff salary was going to be a struggle for us, especially, you know, coming off of like a year where our attendance dropped a lot and whatnot. Um, so I hope that's the case. <laughs> maybe all that money that got raised by the SUL uh, football alumni recently, maybe some of that uh, has been, kind of siphoned off into the salary pool. I think that'd be a very good use for it. And if we are offering $900,000 salaries, um, I think we're in a very different place as a program than we thought we were. Um, But like, I don't know if we were offering $900,000 salaries then like, it shouldn't be a huge deal for us to go get another big name coach. That would put like, that would be a top like 20 to 25 defensive coordinator salary in the entire country. Um, And Zach Arnett, no offense to him. He was making, I think, 199 grand last year. So the fact that he's like, what, more than tripled his salary uh, or more than quadrupled his salary is kind of remarkable. Um, so I don't even know that he's like the kind of guy that you'd think would be getting that kind of money. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a very weird situation because like if this is all true and, and SU is being up for, you know, uh, upfront about like what's actually happening here it's kind of hard to blame them for for like losing him because that's just like a crazy number for what he would demand on the open market i think yeah i think that's fair like realistically like mississippi state probably had to pay a premium um to get somebody out of a like quote unquote like sitting position um at su granted i think arnett might have used us a little bit of a stalking horse um which is unfortunate but yeah, he doesn't. It's not like he has any Mississippi ties anyway, so it's just odd um, in a lot of ways. But the fact that he didn't, the fact that SU was willing to match supposedly, um, and he still didn't want to come, a lot of people were worried about that aspect. I think it's, I think it shows that SU is willing to spend money. The problem is, and the reason why I was a little bit more skeptical, is only because if SU has nine hundred thousand dollars a year to throw around, I don't think where. I don't think we're begging people to come along necessarily. Like you said, if it's a top 20, 30 salary, um, as, as far as defensive coordinators are concerned, then it shouldn't be that hard to literally pick off anyone we want, um, save, you know, the top half of the P5. Like if Syracuse is, it really has that money available, then they should be able to grab pretty much any top defensive coordinator in G5. Um, and, you know, you can scrape the bottom of the barrel on, on salaries, um, at the at the p5 level and we haven't necessarily seen that so um there's you know somewhere in between like the 500,000 or so we thought we had and this number is probably the truth maybe SU has seven that's still a pretty competitive number um given the type of program we are um so i i'm hopeful that i don't necessarily think the role is going to get filled before national signing day and that's a bummer um hopefully i'm wrong though um, but even if it is, I don't think that's going to help us close anything necessarily. I think that kind of ship sailed just because of how close we are now to, uh, to the day. Yeah. And, and realistically, like, I don't know, maybe there were a couple of guys Arnett would bring over, but like, I, I assume without looking at it, San Diego state's recruiting class is, uh, extremely California heavy. <laughs> and Usually. I don't know how many, 
realistic uh, guys there would be there, even with like Lawn leaving, he's actually taking the DC job at his alma mater, New Mexico, of all places. So that's not an option, um, which some people floated afterwards, which I, I you know, I was kind of fine with if that was going to be the thing, but it's not. Um, but like you said, like even if even if SU is being a little bit aggressive, or even if they were just like screw it, we'll match it just so it doesn't look bad for us. Um, and our realistic salary range is like seven to seven fifty. Like that's still way more than I would have guessed when we hired Arnett. I would have guessed we were probably still in the four hundred to five hundred thousand range top end. So um, hopefully that this is a learning experience, and we're all like, hey, Syracuse is willing to invest more in this program than we previously thought. Since we still don't know exactly what Babers is making, we uh, always say we have an idea, but we don't know no um, yet, at least. Um, so hopefully, I mean. Again, like if 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 we're taking everything at face value, my read on it is like if we were actually willing to match that salary, and Mississippi State got pushed to this place where they're giving him 900 base, and I think there were also incentives on that. That's fine. <laughs> like it stinks, and it's really an awful situation for us to be in. Um, and it's you know there are definitely going to be short term like consequences for our program in terms of you know uh, just installation might be uh, rougher in the spring than it would have been because. I mean, we're going to be making a DC hire probably just a couple of weeks out of spring ball starting. It's not great, but what can you do? Like we, we obviously with wild hack being probably more open and like aggressive in the messaging on this than he's been about anything else um, in his tenure here. Like we didn't expect to be put in this position. And we obviously thought that things were squared away with our net and, and, you know, these things aren't like, you know, we, we talked about before these are, this isn't like a, the first time anything like this has happened in college football, but it's not like a super common thing. So yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, again, like unless Syracuse is like outright lying about what it's been doing. And, and honestly, I think if that was the case and they were like being super uh, fraudulent about it, like you'd almost hear it from like Arnett's camp because then it, it's making him look pretty bad, at least around some circles. Um, so I think the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle, but I, I trust SU at least in the, in the, the spirit of it, because like, all of it's coming from the Syracuse side. Yeah, I agree there. I think this is yet another Syracuse thing and a long line of Syracuse things. Um, you and me and most people listening have been through enough of these <laughs> sort of oh, things. Where <laughs> nothing gets though, a couple years. We're like, oh, remember Zach Arnett when he takes like a when he takes the head coaching job at like uh, at like uh, UC Davis in a couple of years? We're gonna be like, oh, that guy. Yeah, it's uh, this is kind of just par for the course for us at this point. Um, I do think the whole hiring process. Uh, even like for the Gilbert stuff is interesting because again, like if 900,000 is available, I, it's hard to believe it's taken this long to fill these spots. Um, these spots being obviously the DC role and the offensive coordinator role. It seems like we're, we are retaining most of the people from last season. Otherwise, um, we'll still TBD on like who else may be out the door. Again, I think everything's kind of been thrown for a loop. Um, I guess for me now, like, you know, who's up next. I think there's only a handful of guys. You and I talk, we don't have to talk about these guys at length. I'm going to put up an article on Wednesday. Uh, we talked about Charlie Partridge, Dave Huxtable, um, you know, probably a good month ago. Uh, Marcus Freeman, uh, the defense coordinator at Cincinnati. Again, if we have $900,000 available, um, he'd certainly be somebody who would be high on my list. Um, Clayton White, the defense coordinator at Western Kentucky. Uh, Brian Borland is potentially an option, though maybe to me at least a lower tier one. Um, he's the defense coordinator and cornerbacks coach at Buffalo. Um, then Jeff Knowles, uh, defense coordinator and linebackers coach at Temple. Um, and obviously, I think the, the top pick for everyone, and I'm hoping that this is why the delay is happening, just because we're trying to iron things out, is Charlie Strong, um, you know, former USF coach, 
um, obviously former Texas head coach, former Louisville head coach. Um, we should all be pretty familiar with him from his time with the Cardinals. Um, regardless of how his head coaching tenure has gone since he left Louisville, uh, I think that his uh, you know Florida rec- uh, recruiting bona fides are pretty solid. And he runs a 3-3-5. Uh, there's definitely a lot to like on that front. So I'm hoping, hoping that that's why there's there's a delay. And really, if we install a 3-3-5, um, I think that, that this is a group that can still hit the ground running. Um, otherwise, we're probably going to be stuck with um, somebody who plugs in a, a pretty similar 4-3 um, to what we ran last year, just based on, as you alluded to earlier, uh, the timing between now and the start of spring practice. Yeah, Strong's been like the big fish, and now there's no real indication that's where we're going, but like you can point, I mean, he has a connection with Gilbert. He was his uh, his boss for a couple years now. Um, I mean, it wouldn't take that much for papers to his number. Uh, he's not employed. He runs the same system that we were looking to run, a, a slightly different version of it, but still like the same formation. Um, and he has AC, um, well, he doesn't have ACC experience, so he wasn't in the ACC yet. He has experience in this general segment of the world uh playing a lot of these same same teams from the big east um he is extensive extensive florida experience which uh you combine charlie strong and nick monroe in the recruiting jail even if it's just for a couple years before strong goes and finds another head coaching job and like that would be really dangerous um so i i mean i don't know that it's realistic i think it's one of those where like it sounds really good and i don't think it's out of the out of the the realm if we're willing to pay almost a million dollars um but like I think that's if we want to be aggressive and we want to like look like a big time program, that is a hire that would make really, really big waves. And that would put Syracuse at least to like that would give us a new cycle. And I think Charlie Stone's a really good defensive coach. So um, I would love that. I think the Freeman idea is really good. And we were saying before, like if you're willing to pay as much as Syracuse says it's willing to pay, uh, you can go get the, the best G5 DC. And if you want to say our net was that. We went and got him for a, for a minute um, and then just go down the line. Like Freeman's probably in that next five. Uh, Cincinnati's def- defense is probably one of the best defensive G5s in the country. Um, it's more local than our net. He actually, you know, I think you can argue in a lot of ways he would make more sense. Um, it might be tough to get him away from Luke Fickle because he has that Ohio State background uh, and has been with Cincinnati for, I think, Fickle's entire run now. But um I mean, if you, money talks, and I don't know what his – I mean, I can look up his salary now if it's uh, available on, on USA Today, but I bet we could increase it by a lot. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think the, the names that you have ready for that article, I think, you know, it's a lot of the same ones we were talking before, the Arnett hire, and the Arnett one – Arnett was obviously a little bit off our radar, not totally. Um, but I think there are – you know, if if the, the – uh, so Arnett, Freeman was actually making a lot more than Arnett. He was making 425000 uh, as of last year. Um, we could double it if we, if we believe it. if we believe what we what we have on the table, right? And I mean, if you're up to seven fifty, that's a huge increase. And seven fifty, looking at DCs, uh, that's what uh, these are a bunch of offensive coordinators. That's more than I just found. Like oh, the, the, all the ones around seven fifty are a weird group of like OCs. Um, it's more than uh, Brent Pry at Penn State last year. Um, huh. Interesting. Yeah. It's more than Peter Sermon at Cal last year, um, who was at who was in the SEC before. Uh, it's, it's yeah, so that would be a very competitive salary, is what I'm trying to say. Um, so yeah, I hope I hope uh, I hope we make you know strong would be kind of a moonshot. Uh, I hope we're at least making that call, and maybe he doesn't want to take an assistant job. That's more you know I would totally get that on his end. Um, but uh, if not, like I think Freeman is definitely the type of coach that you hope we're trying to get at this point. 
Yeah, I, uh, I concur. Otherwise, I, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed. And, and the last thing this, uh, this coaching staff needed this offseason was, was disappointment. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, speaking of a lack of disappointment, uh, we had some good news today on the recruiting trail. Uh, Jacoby and Morgan, who visited this past weekend, got an offer this past weekend um, from Mississippi. He uh, elected to commit to Syracuse, immediately got the uh, three-star ranking from 24-7. Uh, <laughs> just in case you were wondering how the uh, ranking sausage works. Um, still, uh, first-year starter down in Mississippi. Um, it seems like from what I've read on the boards and just elsewhere that like he uh, the, the school kind of had its academic house in disarray until recently, but he actually has a great GPA. He's got 3.5. Um, it was really important to him to, you know, have academics be, uh, you know, part of the decision in general, he seems like he could be a bit of a dual threat. Um, definitely seems a little rough around the edges here and there. I know most of his tape, um, is with a clean pocket, so I didn't get a great read on just how he dealt with pressure. Um, but at the same time, I felt like he had some decent arm strength. Um, I don't think he's necessarily like somebody who's going to challenge Tommy DeVito next year, but I think he's somebody who, um, you know, we could see neck and neck with David Summers down the line. Yeah, I think that's probably the read on it at this point, barring a transfer, and we've we've tried with the transfers. Um, you weren't going to get a huge quarterback commit. Even 2021, we really needed down the horse if we want to get one. Um, so we saw these these uh, late offers out to Morgan, uh, to Dylan Markowitz from Texas. I don't know if that one – I have no idea. I, I wonder if that one's still committable just because we got a quarterback. And I don't know if we want to – use two scholarships on kind of like project type quarterbacks here, but maybe um, we do need the depth. Um, I, we just need to get someone in the door and hopefully this is a guy who was flying under the radar. You hope that, that uh, Babers and company and Gilbert um, Gilbert, who was in that area as a head coach last year. So maybe he has more background on him um, thinks is an FBS level quarterback and things seem to develop into that. We, uh, we, I, I think it's more than likely that we'll at least get, you know, I think at this point, it's probably more than likely that we get two more years out of Tommy DeVito. But even if it's just one, like, that's a lot of time to groom guys and groom David Summers and, and whatnot. So it was very important that we got a die in. It's going to be very hard for us to know um, if this is a die that we would have offered in a different situation or if this is a die that the coaches, like, legitimately didn't know that much about and, lo- and fell in love with. Um, but I'm just really relieved to have a quarterback in this class because, like, things were getting pretty dire and it's still a position that we need to work on. But it's a better spot than we were in, you know, just a couple days ago. Yeah, obviously, you know, you can only tell so much from tape. Um, I, I like the potential. Let's see where it goes. I, I definitely have my, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. We don't have to get into it on this episode, but um, the problems with how SU's failed to really bring in a quarterback um, of the caliber we need since, you know, Tommy, I think, this offense prior to last year should have spoken for itself in terms of its production um, and, and, you know, players wanting to um, put up big numbers, but at the same time, you know, having an established starter like Dungy, having an established starter like DeVito after him uh, makes it hard to attract talent when, when blue chip guys want to play right away. So, you know, hopefully having Gilbert on board, you know, somebody who did coach, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo along with Dino Babers, like hopefully having him, maybe helps that uh that sell for the 2021 class um like you said that we kind of get on gotta get on that soon uh devito who was a four-star according to most uh observers and when he committed and signed um he was a early april um commit 
you know, in, in the year leading up to signing day. So realistically, um, you know, if SU wants to get this done, and we've talked about this on previous episodes, um, how the quarterback recruiting process is a little bit different. Um, if SU wants to get, you know, a blue chipper, they're going to need to either ha- they definitely need to have the offer in at this point, to be honest, um, and really be pursuing hard and trying to get um, a commit who's willing to kind of be the guy that, that hauls in a big class. I think that the benefit of that Tommy DeVito class uh, was the fact that DeVito committed early um, and was really kind of a, um, you know, cheerleader for the rest of the group and somebody who was coaxing along um, other talented players and, and, and convincing guys to, to buy in. And, and I think that was really effective. Um, every class has had that um, for every school, but I think having your quarterback be that guy and you're having your quarterback be, you know, a borderline blue chip guy like DeVito was, I think that's um, just so critical. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that, uh, that that's what we see uh, for the 2021 cycle. Yeah. And you would think that uh, with, you know, if DeVito has a big year next year, and obviously we're, we're getting kind of late to quarterbacks are like among the earlier committers, but you would hope that like the things that we've seen from DeVito um, would kind of lead someone to be like, Oh, this could be uh, something that I, I mean, we kind of had DeVito early in the process here. He was an early kind of believer in the Babers thing. Um, so, you know, you hope that the evidence starts to, to peek out there and, and they are able to sell that. Um, better than they've been able to so far but uh yeah we'll see what happens um because if tommy blows up next year and throws for you know 4200 yards and 45 touchdowns and does the nfl uh things are really interesting if not you know it's great that we'll have a third year starter but um either way you need to be prepared for all the above let's hope we see that I, I, I honestly, I, as I say with football or basketball, you know what, if a guy's good enough to uh, make it to the pros, he's probably good enough to lead us to the postseason. So let's hope Tommy's good enough to, to even get, you know, NFL draft murmurs for next year. Um, Dan, why don't we take a little bit of a break for our sponsor and we're back. And uh, why don't we talk some beer? So Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, I've did a little bit more this week than I have been. Um, nothing, to Adeline, although I, I didn't see a, uh, an untapped check-in for the uh, Remember Double Dry Hop IPA that I, uh, I'm i drinking one now, but we've had some sitting in our fridge from Single Cut for a couple weeks, so um, I've been drinking some of those. I have some Wolf Hollow in my fridge that I've been drinking. Um, I had a bunch of Magic Hat number nines during the uh, Notre Dame game, um, which evidently brought some decent luck. Um, uh, what else did I have? Uh, some other more basic stuff, but uh, yeah, currently drinking the Remember Double Dry Hop, which is quite delicious, as most of Single Cut's uh, IPAs are. Yeah, I was big on Single Cut. I mean, I know I know why they don't get out here, just like most breweries don't really distribute too far and wide, but definitely a, a brewery. I, I like to get some stuff from whenever I'm in New York. Um, I had actually some stuff from the East Coast this week, um, courtesy of Steve Haller on the site. Uh, I sent over some uh, Grassman, uh, Tired Hands, uh, Double IPA, and also uh, from Hill Farmstead, uh, Heige, their uh, red ale that was really good. Um, then I had a crowler of uh, Sorry Dude from Highland Park Brewery um, out here that I uh, cracked into. And uh, that was a Hoppy Pilsner. That one was really excellent. Nothing crazy for me this past weekend. Um, figured after the, uh, the scene that Chicago was, um, from a drinking standpoint, it could probably use a weekend being a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, definitely makes sense. You can't, uh, it's hard to get it, get it going every weekend now. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, let's talk about a team that uh, has a lot, a lot of positive vibes going right now, and that is the uh, the Syracuse men's basketball team. They're uh, they've won five straight. They're looking pretty good. I mean, obviously, you know, with with, with those five straight wins have come um, a lot of you know me wanting to throw up my mouth and me <laughs> having a panic attack, and we don't have to worry about all those games that were in double digits anymore. Because that's not happening. Um, Pittsburgh uh, got really interesting for a bit before we ended up pulling away. Um, obviously, since we last spoke to the Notre Dame game, um, where SU managed to beat Notre Dame by two. Um, obviously, in the last five, all those wins. Um, the only game that was double digits was the Boston College game. They won by 26. So that's nice. Um, Buddy Beheim continues his tour de force. Uh, Quincy Garrier had his... Uh, his second game of the, uh, of the season, no, third game of the season, sorry, where he led the team in rebounds, um, which was awesome against Pitt. Um, Dan, I know it's too early for this, but do you believe this group has has definitively turned it around? Do you think they've just taken advantage of a, uh, a fading Virginia team and like a, a, a luckier stretch? Um, I think they have proven that they are no worse off than the rest of like the bottom 12 of the ACC or 11, maybe. Um, I think they're, they, at least for a moment, were alone in fourth place. I don't know if they still are. I, I don't remember how the standings have shifted in the last couple of days, but after, uh, after the win over Pitt, we were alone in fourth place. Um, so, I mean, at the very worst, like we were, we said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were very concerned this was like, we were going to be down where like North Carolina is. North Carolina just be NC State to continue the weirdness of this whole league. Um, but I think like we were concerned we were going to be in that bottom four or five. And I mean, we're definitively in discussions for like a double buy, which is crazy. Uh, and maybe not to our advantage, if we're being honest, with our NCAA tournament situation, which remains uh, very iffy. Um, so I don't know. I think it's tough because, like, as you said, I think we've blown 10-point leads at least the last, like, at least three of these wins. Um, now, on the flip side of that, like, I think we've looked like... We had 10-point leads. <laughs> we had 10-point leads. We actually, did we have a 20-point lead against, uh, against Pitt? Yes. We had, what, what? Close to 20 point, yeah. We had a 20 point lead. I think we've looked like definitively like the better team in almost all of these games. It's not like we're like stealing games from teams that we like clearly like know that we're not as good at, uh, as. Um, and I obviously would rather be the team that can close and, and has made good plays down the stretch. Um, you hope that it starts to round into like turning keeping 12 point wins as 12 point wins and not three point wins. Um, but overall, like considering where we were, you have to be pretty thrilled and, and winning five in a row in the ACC any year is really not easy and it's not like we've just been playing it's not like we played wake forest twice and boston college twice like it, we've been playing like our peer group and we just look like we have that one even if it's just like one big play uh, advantage over the other teams like our guys seem to have that thing where they know how to close out games and they know how to make big plays and it's not just one guy joe gerard have having you know ice in his veins at the line and always looking like he's going to hit it. I know he missed one in his pit, which was shocking. Uh, thank you, uh, West Durham, for jinxing him about as hard as anyone's ever jinxed anyone at the free throw line. Um, <laughs> shout out to him. Um, Marek Dolajai making just so many big plays defensively, offensively, um, rounding out his game into places where we thought he might get after that really awesome postseason run two years ago as a freshman. Kind of took, like, not a dip last year, but didn't really take that jump. And it seems like he's really taking it in real time. Quincy Garrier, like you said, is a different player than he was earlier in the year. And I know Beheim is still very hard on him. And it seems like Beheim is 
doing that motivationally. And to his eternal credit, Quincy seems like he gets exactly what's happening and has like the emotional maturity to deal with that effectively. It has been to, you know, taking things to the next level. Um, Buddy, I don't know if we need to even say anything about Buddy. He's been unbelievable. Um, And then obviously Elijah Hughes, a legitimate ACC player of the year candidate. So um, it's not a perfect team by any means. It's probably less talented than a lot of the ACC, but they seem to just have this thing where they can turn it on for moments, even if they've turned it off for moments and give up these big leads. Um, they're really unafraid of the end of games, and I think that'll serve them well. Um, and I think like this next two game stretch, uh, if we're just taking things like sliver by sliver for the schedule, and that's I think the most effective way to dig out of this hole that we were at ourselves in. Clemson on the road is not easy. They beat Duke earlier in the year, but that's a winnable game. They're ten and nine. It's not a great team. Um, and then at, versus Duke, Duke is gettable. Um, I think the team, the Duke team we beat last year is a lot better than the Duke team this year. Um, I think our team is about, I mean, I think we're, it's not crazy to say we're about the same as we were last year, just very different in terms of like style. But if we beat Duke last year at Cam, at Cameron, I think we can beat Duke in the Dome this year. Um, if we get those two, I think we're going to start to see us in most of these tournament projections. I think people will just say at 15 and seven on a 17 win streak, like this team figured things out at this point, I think, we figured some things out. I'm just not totally ready to buy in on like, okay, we're going to finish in fourth place or third place in the ACC, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if, if that goes that way, or it wouldn't shock me if things kind of come uh, falling down, but I, I'm leaning towards the former. I'm saying I'm actually pretty optimistic. Yeah. I know I mentioned it like in a piece for Monday, like 11 games left. We're realistically probably favored in six or seven of these. Um, that's crazy that we could potentially, if we just win the ones are supposed to be, to win, go like 20 and 11 in the regular season. Like I said, though, straight up 20 and 11 is not going to do it. Um, I, I know that I have my doubters there, um, and I'm not the only one saying that, but there's a lot of people saying that 20 and 11 is the key. 20 and 11 is not the key to me if if none of those wins are Duke, Florida State, or Louisville. And and, and that's, not, that's not to discount Virginia too much, but Virginia definitely has faded a bit. Um, in, in terms of their stature, in terms of what they are, um, you know, tier one, like, like there's still a quad one win um, just by virtue of the fact that it was on the road. But realistically, like looking at the schedule, like if they manage to beat, let's say Clemson, NC State, Georgia Tech, Pitt, NC, UNC, BC, and Miami, like I don't think you necessarily, like and NC State's the only team that you've maybe like substantively improved your like resume by beating. And, and and there's also the factor, and again, I, I mentioned this in the article, like do, do, we can't just forget that SU's finished the last seven regular seasons at two and four. Um, <laughs> this is officially a thing. It's been a thing for the last couple of seasons. Um, and, and it's something that we absolutely have to watch out for. I, I do agree with you that this SU team seems to figure something out. I think Jim Beheim, while we blasted him at the beginning of the season for really not adjusting, really not fixing things, um, he's actually spent the last probably three, four weeks um, completely adjusting and completely changing things. Um, in particular, I think on you know on the defensive end, where you've seen this team uh, look really good against uh, peer competition, but offensively, um, and I'd love to get into this a little bit more. Uh, offensively, like we, we're taking an NBA type approach to uh, to an offense, and that doesn't mean that where they were uh, you know producing like an NBA team offensively, because we're certainly not. Um, but we're certainly a, a, a much more efficient team um, than we've been in previous years. Uh, we, I know there was that uh, that shot uh, chart that was kind of going around over the weekend that Kevin wrote about a little bit on Monday, talking about how, for the most part, like just about every shot for Syracuse was either in the lane 
um, or from, from outside. So I think you're probably going to see a little bit more of that. And I think this is where, this is where Bayheim potentially shines. Like w- w- when he's down to, to try some things and when he's down to, to make adjustments and, and flip switches, you know, I, th- that's when you see, that's when you see these, these Syracuse teams, you know, really come through. And after you see his talent as a coach come through, um, and I'm glad to see that kind of return, at least for the last, you know, five, six games. Yeah, I mean, credit where it's due. And, and neither of us are like huge Bayheim haters, uh, though that segment that uh, people that aren't Syracuse fans are shocked exists, but have existed since I've been a Syracuse fan. Um, but I thought he deserved like plenty of criticism. I mean, I think a lot of the criticism for the last couple of years is, is very valid. And I haven't seen a lot of it the last couple of weeks. And I, I think it's because you see this pretty big shift uh, in Bayheim finding the strengths of this team and kind of uh, helping unlock what these players do well. And that's how you get a game against Pitt um, where Elijah Hughes are by far our best player um, just has a really awful team. And I think he would admit that um, made a couple big shots late, but like really didn't play well at all. And the offense can still work because buddy had a red hot first half. Um, Marek just continues to get so good. Quincy steps up. Um, I think even Barama, he only had four points and eight rebounds. Uh, and I think Beheim probably, it's weird because a couple weeks ago I would have said, like, I wish Barama was playing less. Um, I kind of wish Beheim had put him in earlier after the really questionable third and fourth fouls. Um, I think Barama's had his best two-game stretch in a long, long time, uh, maybe maybe in, like, two years. Um, just he's, he's finding ways to get the most out of his players. And I think, you know, I'm sure their, their credit is – due to the assistance as well we don't see practice it's very hard to know but in any case like this staff has i think started to get the most out of like almost every single guy on the floor um so like when you have an elijah hughes score 10 points on 13 shots they still pull away at the ends and don't fall out of the game when buddy starts to get locked up um so yeah i think Beheim deserves a- as much credit this year as he's gotten blame which again i thought was was valid even if a little overblown the last couple of years so um yeah, I mean, I think he should deserve uh, like some ACC Coach of the Year consideration, considering where, at least at this point, if things continue to to climb the way they have, like the rest of the league is all struggling, and I don't think that much was thought of our team entering the year, and with how it's improved over a month, um, and I know Beheim's downplayed it too. He says we're not playing that much better. I, I kind of disagree with him just watching, but you know he knows better than I. Um, but I think he's trying not to let people get you know satisfied. Um, I think this is his best coaching job in a while in a long time maybe since uh probably since the the late 2016 run which i think he deserves a lot of credit for too i i just think like it's very easy to blame Beheim when the offense is a little stagnant and when he coldly reinvents it and gets this like houston rockets s like maximum efficiency thing while still drawing up these like really nice plays for buddy and hughes at them like one-on-ones and get pre mismatches like there's definitely more uh develop coaching and less like roll the ball out there than we've seen in recent years. And I think part of that's like, you don't have a tie battle. Elijah's not that player. He can be at times, but he's not the same kind of one-on-one talent. So Bayham's taken, I think a slightly tighter reins on this team. Um, and you can see a, a much different looking offense that we've had in a long time. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you're seeing a, a more active coach again, like you're right, since the 2016 run uh, where, you know, he, he, because, like you said, there's no Tyus battle. There's no player like that. I mean, Elijah Hughes can can play really well in a game, but I wouldn't say he can necessarily take over a game the same way that Battle could, um, you know, in, in its entirety. And I think that's forced Behind to be more involved, and that's that, that's been good because I think once he kind of came to that realization, once the staff came to that realization, 
they've been able to maximize players' abilities, efficiencies, um, their strengths, uh, and and the fact that you know there are so many guys you can get involved here um, is excellent. I know you mentioned uh, Barama. You know the guy hasn't you know knock on wood and watch I jinx it uh, against Clemson. Guys have missed a shot since the Virginia game, uh, which is insane for 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 a guy who like yes he's only scored um, you know twenty two points combined in the last four games, but uh, to me that's a great that's a great sign uh, for what this team's doing right. Again, it's all about efficiency and the fact that this team is able to be more efficient. I'd love to see Sidibe. I know he tries to avoid contact. I'd love to see him be able to get to the line. Um, I'd love to see Dolajai get to the line um, even more than he does. I think Dolajai, for the most part, like is the team's uh, most underrated and get best like distributor. He's somebody who like should be the through line with which like the entire offense goes. Uh, I, I think he just he has basketball instincts that. Uh, we've used in sparingly probably in the last few years. And I feel like now we're starting to see like the, the full complement of what, you know, more developed talent um, and, and that IQ, you know, coming together and, and us relying on him is finally turning into like a, a ton of production on, on his end. So I, I'm excited for what I'm seeing. I'm also understanding of the fact that like, I think this is pretty much everybody on the team, like maximized, in terms of their potential. And, and there's absolutely going to be a regression to the mean at some point. Uh, that doesn't mean that though they have to slide. It doesn't mean they have to finish two and four. Um, it could just mean that they might have to drop a, a you know, a couple games here and there um, to, to figure out how to get back. But at the same time, I think that whatever SU regresses back to at some point this season, it's still not going to be at the depth of what we saw against like your Penn States and your Oklahoma States, uh, you know, at Barclays. Yeah, and at the same time, even if there is a regression, and I think that's natural, um, every win that we pick up along the way creates a little bit more wiggle room till you know the end of the season. And if you beat Duke on Saturday or you beat one of those back-to-back Florida State-Louisville games on the road, assuming those two teams stay floating around the top 10, I think, like, honestly, I think we just need one of those, and then we need to not stub our toe more than once or twice elsewhere. And, like... It's not a guaranteed tournament berth, but you're at least there, like then, really definitively in the conversation. Um, obviously, we've stepped our toe plenty in years past, and it's like the Georgia Tats of the world. I know we just blew them out earlier in the year, but like the Georgia Tats of the wakes of the world. Um, but this team just does has a different feel to it, and I know it's it's not still not a huge sample size these last five games, but there are a lot of games I feel like we would have lost earlier in the year, and we would have lost uh, in 2017 and in you know, a couple, you know, here and there the last couple of years too. It just seems like this team has just a little bit something extra and maybe it's just like a, a hot five games, but I don't know. I feel very good about it um, overall acknowledging that. Like, I think most of the numbers still have as a, like between a 10 and 15% chance that they make the tournament. Um, I, 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 one of the interesting things because uh, we are, yeah, we are still in fourth uh, with that six and three record in the conference I almost don't want the four, the double buy because I think we could use the extra like opportunity for a win. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think that's something we can dive into kind of next week a little bit more. Um, but Dan, why don't we take another break for our sponsor here? And we're back. And why don't we why don't we just talk about I guess the Clemson game? Um, SEO wise, I'm going to call it the Clemson preview episode. I know some of you get pissed off when we don't actually talk about the game. <laughs> that uh, we say we're going to talk about. Um, as I mentioned, it's really just an SEO thing and nothing else. 
Do you do like you know back in the uh, back in the quote unquote glory days of this podcast? Did you really want to have it called uh, the one where we only talk about Tulane or the uh, the Big Twelve recruiting episode? Probably not. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't admittedly watched Thompson play this much. I I, I saw them at the end beat Duke. Um, I, it seems like a pretty much the Thompson we've come to know and love. I don't know how you want to describe Thompson basketball. Love the strong um, word. They are uh, much better defensively than they are offensively. Um, they play, uh, I'm looking, actually sl- slower than us. Um, it doesn't seem like we're quite as slow a team as we have been in years past. Um, I think that's because three-pointers make things more exciting. Um, but we are still a pretty slow team. Plums is a slower team. Uh, they are not great offensively. We're better defensively than they are offensively per Ken Palm. Um, they're ranked 83rd, uh, worse than Pitt. Um, so I, I don't know. I, it's interesting. Like on paper, I think this is a game we very much should win. They're 10 and 9, they're 4 and 5 in the league. Um, if not for that Duke win, and obviously that's a big if, uh, they their record would look a lot, or they would just look a lot, lot worse and less uh, imposing. Um, and they're, they're not playing like. I don't know. They, they they follow up Duke with a loss to NC State, who is fine, not great. They beat Wake by three, and then they just got blown out by Louisville. So um, I think it's another one of those, those ACC middling games where uh, I'm not going to take anything for granted. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't think this is a great team, even with that one nice win. Um, it, it looks like a wor- even a worse version than all these other Clemson teams where they have a bunch of stores between, like, sits and 13 points. Maybe I don't think Amir Sims is the same kind of player they've had, like Blossom Game or some of their other stars in years past. Um, they only shoot 32% uh, from three as a team. I, I just, I don't know. I think we match up pretty well with them. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I have, I'm not going to say my pick um, for like, you know, random three point breakout uh, performance, if only because we've actually kind of avoided it, knock on wood, uh, in recent weeks. Um, and I also, since the last one, I don't want to jinx it because I haven't called that one since. Uh, but I will say, I, I think we can let, you know, like, like you said, Amir Sims is not the talent that maybe some of the other forwards um, who have eaten us alive um, have been. That said, I think he could pretend, I think he's going to surpass that 13.8 um, point average. Uh, but everybody else, you know, it's going to be tough. Like, you know, Tevin Mack is kind of like the only other like legitimate rebounder other than Sims. Um, if we can win the battle on the boards, I really like our odds here too. Um they're a good defensive team, but they're not one that necessarily like scares me a lot. I think as long as we don't see somebody get hot from three, um, we can take a pretty similar tack to what we did against Pitt. Um, I, in, in general, like I could definitely see them winning this game because it's a home game for them. Uh, we're on fairly short rest. Uh, they may be two actually. Now that I think of it, but uh, yeah, they played. They also were they were actually on the road on Saturday. So pretty even for the most part. I mean, they're traveling, whatever. Point being that I, I think, like you said, this is a this is a decent matchup for SU, um, provided, of course, that you know the shots fall from somebody, whether that's Hughes or, or Buddy Beheim or or Marek. I think somebody has to put up uh, you know, a, a decent amount of points. And that's fallen to Buddy of late. Um, from outside. I think if somehow if SU manages to struggle from three, uh, like any other game this year, uh, that's probably going to spell doom. I'm going to cautiously pick us to win this one uh, by a score of 71 to 66. 
Um, but you know, Dan, after you have your prediction, I can uh, I can spell out maybe a, an alternate reality where where we could drop this one. Um, I think I'm a little actually more optimistic. I, I like us pretty solidly in this one. Um, I don't see another team locking up Elijah the same way Pitt did last game. Um, I've seen nothing to suggest that Buddy can't keep on doing at least you know, a smaller version of what he's been doing lately. And, and it's very hard to keep both of them on ice. Like you, you really can't face guard more than one player. And uh, we have two guys, three guys, honestly, if Gerard is hot, like you really don't want to let ha- have open shots. Um, Marek working from the inside, having those like two dribbles, zero step to the basket with as his lanky stride. He's having a really issue, real issue for team, especially with his uh, ability to distribute the ball from the high post. Um, and I just love what Brahma and Gary have given us the last couple games. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna te- I think we're gonna keep it rolling. I'm gonna go 73 61, a uh, nice, solid, probably more solid than we've had since the BC game. Uh, road win, all right. I respect it. Admittedly, I think this is uh, this is more PTSD for me, um, than anything else in terms of uh, in terms of what we can expect uh, from this game. I don't think Clemson's again a world beater. I think that the Duke win, you know, was against an underhanded, uh, understaffed group, but it's not like we haven't been there too. Um, for what it's worth, Clemson holds opponents to uh, 32.3% shooting from three. That's actually not like amazing. That's almost middle of the pack. Uh, at least if you're going from best to worst, that's 140th um, overall. So nothing crazy. Uh, it's actually a pretty good sign for us, I think. Um, nobody, like you said, necessarily locked down players. I just, I don't know. I don't know what the what the headspace is for the team right now, and I don't know if if, if the the headlines start creeping in necessarily. Um, obviously, you know these players know there's a lot more work to do, but got to wonder at some point like does everybody does everybody start to take for granted that they are playing like collectively as as a kind of you know maximalist version of what this team can be, and that doesn't even mean that like anybody really slips up. It just means that you know again that 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 natural regression. So. I, I could see a slip, but admittedly, I don't necessarily know if if Clemson's the team that pulls it off versus like I could much more easily see a slip against a team like NC State, who, who's more of a peer um, than Clemson, who's like struggled a decent amount this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like uh, just Clemson, I don't know. And the plenty of these teams have beaten us before uh, in recent years, but this nothing about them streams like danger zone aside from us going on the road. And that's always tricky, but like, I think it's Except this year when it's not <laughs> true. Weird. weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that NC state game or even the app pit game uh, or UNC, cause they'll have probably have Cole Anthony back by then. And they're playing better over the last couple of days. Um, even at BC, there have been years where we've blown out BC in one game. I think this happened like three times. We blow out BC by 30 in one game, then we lose the other one. Or at Miami to end the year. Like, I think those are all, all scarier games uh, than this one. That isn't to say that we can't lose a bunch of these. We, we certainly can revert. But uh, I'm not seeing it right now. And I choose to stay optimistic about this team because they've been very fun to watch, even through some of the darker times. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, since the turn of the year, they've, uh, they've definitely been a more entertaining watch. Uh, one that I don't dread as much. Um, I keep looking at these final six games and having a heart attack about how easily they could go two and four in this stretch. But if one of them is Louisville, does it matter? As long as we, uh, we, I don't think we can go for three against Duke, FSU, and Louisville. I think I, that 
That's I, and I, I think I, if they do, they're done. Obviously, there are ACC tournament games, and like you know, if you go over three, and then you see one of those teams again in the ACC semifinals, uh, and you win, like I think that undoes a lot of it. But you need to pick up a like you just need a signature win, and right now we still don't have it. Um, that said, like we were coming from such a bad place that like our lack of signature win, like you, you deal with that when it comes. Um, just being able to like reasonably say like even just seeing Chris uh, Dobertian's uh, uh, Slutchen uh, or his bracketology on Sunday, I think, say like Syracuse next four out, which is like, you know, we're one of the eight teams that isn't in the field yet, but we're still like on the paper. You can control F and find Syracuse. So um, that's a better place than we've been uh, since like the very beginning of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think we, we positioned ourselves nicely. Uh, now it's up to us to kind of erase what happened early in the year. I do think that like for reference point, um, the team a couple of years ago that missed the, the tournament had three top 10 wins. All of them were at home. Um, and that group missed and that group missed because it had also some bad losses. This team has no bad losses, um, but also doesn't have, you know, the signature win. That's why I think they can, I think they can get by with at Virginia and home against Duke. Um, I think at Virginia and like at FSU or at LSU or at Louisville gets it done. As long as you like find a way to go at least 20 and 11 in the regular season. Um, but this should be interesting. I, I think that this, this next two game stretch is going to be pretty telling. I mean, the most Syracuse thing would be lose at Clemson and then beat Duke in overtime. But that's why we're watching the games because sometimes Syracuse surprises us. Even when we expect Syracuse to do the most surprising thing. I think you would sign for a loss of Clemson or a loss of Clemson, but a win over Duke. I think the, the win would outweigh it. Yeah, I agree there. And, and Clemson's not necessarily a bad loss either. So there's, there's, I mean, I don't want to lose either of these games, but if you had to lose one, I think the Clemson one's the one to lose. I don't think people are going to like, if we lose that game, I don't think anyone's going to really say anything because it's just like what the ACC has been this year. But if we beat Duke, that's going to like, people are going to start talking, I think either way. And if we win both again, I think if we win both, you'll, I, I, by prediction, and this still may be a little optimistic, I think we'll be in a majority of the brackets that come out the next day. Yeah. I mean, if you win that game, you're 15 and seven, uh, you've uh, got a win streak. If you beat Clemson. Yeah. Yeah. Seven. Uh, you'll have a seven game win streak. You'll have, if you beat Clemson too, you have a seven game win streak, you'll be five and zero on the road in the ACC. Um, you'll have numerous quad one wins. Cause you'd I'd most likely jump Duke. So you'd probably be in like second or third place in the ACC, depending on what happens with the two one loss teams. There's a, there's a lot to like there. Um, but again, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'll say one game at a time. I'm hoping that the Clemson wins and Clemson game ends in a win. And then we will go from there on Saturday. Uh, James and Bobby should be talking uh, later in the week. So they'll be able to recap, recap Clemson um, and also preview what's going on against Duke. Uh, Dan, anything else before we head out for this week? No, I think that's it. I mean, uh, you know, we didn't talk about it at length, but uh, if anyone is dealing with the fallout from the Toby Bryant uh, tragedy, hope that everyone's doing okay there. Um, there's obviously larger discussions to be had, but we're probably not the place for that. Um, but I felt like weird not to just at least mention it on a sports show. Um, but yeah, other than that, hope everyone is doing well. Hope uh, we keep things rolling here. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I, I, like you said, we're not the place to necessarily uh, summarize that unless the mood strikes on, on some sort of introspective article uh, this week. But in any case, you know, RIP to everybody involved. Uh, just a, a brutal day. Um, I know like being out here in LA, it was definitely magnified. Um, which is the amount of families and everybody else affected. It was just uh, just really tough to to sit through, and especially as a dad, 
Um, just, just tough to sit through. But um, on a happier note, Syracuse-Clemson on Tuesday night uh, and then Syracuse-Duke on Saturday. Hope everybody's watching. We'll be covering the games plenty. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, numerous other places where you can listen to podcasts and go orange. Go orange.